0: The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now.
1: Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this football friday we made it folks we made it, we made it to friday i know it's uh it's a little crazy out there with the holiday shopping and yeah, just everybody's kind of uh yeah just this this time of year there's plenty of people spreading holiday cheer and joy and then there's plenty of people who are like get out of my way i've got things to do <laughs> so you know it's uh it's a little bit a uh, little bit wacky out there but we made it to friday And here we are, it's a beautiful day here in Tucson in the state of Arizona on this December the 10th, and it is 7.03 right now on this uh, Friday morning. You're listening here to 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, and we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Glad to be with you. And we have a slew of topics to get into today. A lot of football, obviously, to discuss as a huge week 14 in the NFL uh, kicked off last night. (laughs) <laughs> the Vikings build a huge lead. It was 23 nothing at halftime, and I'm thinking to myself, what on earth happened to the Pittsburgh Steelers? Dalvin Cook, who absolutely manned up. I mean, he, he, he completely nutted up last night. He has this separated shoulder injury 11 days ago. 11 days ago, he was carted off the field, or stretchered off the field in San Francisco, with a shoulder injury, which I always think is – I'm like, look, if you don't break your leg, if you, know, if you can walk, you walk off the field. A <laughs> Shoulder separation keeps you from walking, but nonetheless, I'm not going to pick on the guy now because he played 11 days later in the game last night, had 153 yards rushing. In the first half against the Pittsburgh Steelers, finished with 27 carries, Two hundred five yards, which is seven and a half yards per carry, got the uh, I got in the end zone twice, and the Minnesota Vikings escape with their lives, hanging on to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers by a score of thirty six to twenty eight. Now the Minnesota Vikings' lead had ballooned to to, to uh, twenty nine in the second half before Pittsburgh realized that they were in a football game and supposed to, you know, like go down the field and score points and maybe play a little defense that would probably help because. For the first, I would say about 36 minutes of that game, the first half and like the first six minutes or so of the second half, my God, they were just getting whipped on both sides of the ball. The offensive line was getting crushed. Ben Roethlisberger was getting sacked left and right. The offensive line couldn't produce, you know, really... Any kind of running lanes to speak of for Najee Harris, who had another nice game for the uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he is lobbying for his case for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I hope he does because that was my prediction to win it at the beginning of the season. But uh, other than that, really nothing to speak of until they started the defense or to turn the Vikings over. Once again... Kirk Cousins quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings in a primetime game we talked about it. I think he was O9 going into last night's game all time in in primetime uh on primetime television he did not play well uh he did throw a couple of touchdown passes and it looked like maybe Justin Jefferson dropped a couple of balls he was they were he was he threw the ball 15 times at Justin Jefferson last night uh and and maybe uh you know Jefferson dropped a couple of balls that he should have caught and things Kirk Cousins was not very good. He threw two second-half interceptions, which led to Pittsburgh drives that resulted in touchdowns, which started reeling them in, reeling them in. This would have been the biggest comeback in NFL history to be down twenty-nine points and to come back and win that game regular in regular season history, because we all know what the biggest comeback in NFL history was. Bills fans, don't we? Um, sorry, that was a cheap shot, and uh. But it was last night, and, and, and really, it was a play. You know, a, or I shouldn't even say play. It was an act by a particular player on the Pittsburgh Steelers that's got everybody talking this morning. Now, Pittsburgh proved last night why to me why they're not a playoff caliber team. They just they are way too inconsistent. They they don't have. They just don't have it. When you watch a team, you're like, that team's got it. You know, there are, there are certain teams in the league, certainly plenty of them, that when you watch them play, and even if they've been a, you know, a fringe team, they've got it. They, there's, there's, there's something about them that's special. I don't think there's anything about this Pittsburgh Steelers team that is special. They got smoked in the trenches last night and were lucky to get those tw- uh, 28 points that they did score thanks to the Minnesota Vikings continuing to press the ball down the field in the second half with a 29-point lead. But it was the actions of wide receiver Chase Claypool of the Pittsburgh Steelers that are the talk of the town today. And it's got a lot of people, obviously, in Pittsburgh very upset. And, you know, many of the media types like myself discussing this this morning as the selfish acts of one player may have determined the outcome of this game. Now, look, there's plenty to be said about the margin of victory here. The Vikings were up 8, okay? I don't I I know a lot of people are upset about this and they think that Chase Claypool cost them the game and all this. let's start here, okay? First of all, let's if you if you weren't familiar with it, this is what happened in the game. Chase Claypool Wide receiver on a fourth and one catches a slant path, uh, slant pattern pass that goes for eight or nine yards, okay, and he's tackled right there. Now the clock is ticking. Steelers are out of timeouts. Uh, there's 42 seconds left on the clock when the play began. He catches the ball and is tackled. There's now 38 seconds on the clock. The clock is ticking. Tick, 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 okay? Now in every other situation watching football games, you will notice the wide receiver quickly bounce to his feet and run to the middle of the field where he can then put the ball down or put the ball hand, into the hands of the umpire, who will then spot the ball based on the side judge and the line judge and uh, their, you know, their marking of, the, uh, of the, the finality of the play. And the quarterback will then snap the ball and spike it. It usually takes about seven or eight seconds. Chase Claypool caught the ball with 39 seconds left on the clock. The, sle- the Steelers did, did not then snap the next play until 24 seconds remaining on the clock. Well, what happened during those 15 seconds? Well, Chase Claypool decided that he was going to let everybody in the stadium know that he had just caught and converted a fourth down into a first down. And did his little, I'm going to kneel on you know one knee, and I'm going to bro- drop the ball and I'm going to point this way, like first down. And then he's like, oh, crap, the, cl- the clock is running. I'm an idiot, and I have to get up and, and get this ball to somebody. Well, by that time, Steelers center Trey Turner had already run over to him like, dude, what are you doing? Give me the ball. So then – Claypool, essentially, they kind of wrestle for the ball, and as Turner is getting it back, the, the official then comes over and is like, give me the ball. I've got to spot this. The ball gets away, and now it's rolling around. And tick, 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 tick. The clock is ticking down, and the Steelers' chances are ticking away but in what seemed like it took forever. And I'm sure standing on that sideline, and the Pittsburgh sideline, it felt like minutes were passing by until somebody corralled that stupid football, put it in place, so that Roethlisberger could receive the snap and spike the ball to stop the clock on first down. Chase Claypool, the absent-minded, showboating dumbass that he is, cost the Steelers a good, solid eight seconds right there. And you, I've watched the play many times. Watched the replay, I've counted the seconds, and by my estimation – Anywhere between six and eight seconds is what his little showboating, look-at-me-everybody act caused his team. This is the same guy who had a personal foul penalty in the first quarter for being a dumbass. And you would think that that would have been enough. But no, 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 no. Chase Claypool decided to make it about himself in the final seconds of the game and cost his team at least one more shot at the end zone at the end of that game by not preserving the clock when he should have. So when when people talk about that Chase Claypool costs us the game and all this other stuff, we have to understand this first. An eight-point lead might as well be a ten-point lead in comparison to a six- or a seven-point lead. Certainly a six-point lead. Because we talked yesterday about how poorly – the NFL is at converting PATs this year, 92.5%, the worst in the league um, ever. Well, since nineteen what was it, nineteen seventy-four or whatever it was. Um, the percentage was a little bit lower. The the NFL so the NFL's been you know, the kicker's been having trouble connecting on PATs to make it a seven point score. The eight point score, and we've seen this happen you know many, many times. Teams getting stonewalled on the two-point conversion. You essentially have to score two touchdowns, right? There's the initial touchdown driving down the field to get your six, and then you have to score another touchdown from the two-yard line, or from the from the from the, from the three-yard line rather. Uh, from the three-yard line, you have to score another touchdown when the other team, you know, has got their right personnel on the field, their goal line personnel is on the field, uh, and and they've probably seen. Some of your best plays, certainly now this late in the season, where you've had to go for it and try to get your your two point conversions by getting your best play out there in a must win situation, the difference between eight points and six points might as well be ten points. It's very difficult to convert that eight points at the end of a game to try to send it to overtime like it was a it was going to be a monumental task for the Steelers to tie that game up and send it to overtime. Nonetheless, they still mathematically had an opportunity to do that with the final possession of the game. So, therefore, fans want to look at it and say, that's what cost us the game. Now, I will say this, it, will co- it, it cost the team precious seconds in that game, and it definitely cost them at least one other look at the end zone there at the end. Gosh, they were so close to scoring that, that, uh, that touchdown, too, on the final play. He had it, and the Vikings converged and knocked the ball out in the end zone. That was, that was a hell of a play. Uh, but, you know, they would have had another shot if, if Chase Claypool hadn't farted around and showboated and, and tried to put the spotlight on himself. The problem with the Steelers in that game last night was they couldn't stop anybody. They gave up 36 points to the Minnesota Vikings, and the first 29 looked like the Vikings were running through hot butter. Like, it was just, it was effortless. They had 340 yards of offense before the fourth quarter even started. You can't do that. Like, you just, if you're considered a playoff caliber team with a top five NFL defense, Because your quarterback is aging and you don't have any real big playmakers to speak of on offense to have big chunk plays and electric plays and big gains and such, you have to play proper defense. And last night they stunk. I mean, they just stunk up the joint. T.J. Watt was invisible. He had one tackle last night. One. One tackle. They were just not good on defense. That's what cost – the Pittsburgh Steelers, the game last night. And to be honest, I'm just going to say it. I was right. This team is not a playoff team. And I think they're still going to be lucky to finish this season above 500. The tie is going to help, actually. I think the tie is going to help. They could finish 500 this year. And, uh, you know, the only team besides the Lions, well, the Lions can't finish 500 because they can't win enough games to to even it to to, uh, 10 and 10. But the the Steelers are the only team in the league right now that can actually finish with a 500 record. They could finish eight eight and one, and Mike Tomlin's uh, record of never being an under 500 coach for a season will hold uh, hold hold true for another season. But I still think that this team is just not good enough to win. I think they've gotten they've gotten situations against other teams who were. I don't want to say you know beaten up or anything like that. It's, I mean the 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 Steelers have earned several of those six wins that they have this year, but I think there were situations where you're just looking at the other team and like the other team is just awful tonight, and that's happened several times for the for the uh, for the Steelers this year as well. So the Vikings escape with their lives. Mike Zimmer escapes with his job still intact for another week until he's. Back on the hot seat next week when they underperform, and they are now six and seven, and still on the outside looking in of the NFC playoffs. But nonetheless, big win over the Steelers last night, and boy oh boy, <laughs> uh, what what did they give up? Vikings Vikings averaged what six point eight yards per play last night? Yeah, good defense there, Pittsburgh. Good job, and Dalvin Cook two hundred yards rushing. He was he was a manimal last night, a man, uh, unchained last night. So. Um, you know, A better game than I expected. I thought that was going to be a low-scoring game and I don't want to say boring. Minnesota's got some playmakers, but uh, certainly some fireworks in that game made it exciting there in the fourth quarter. Interestingly enough, the Vikings, I talked about this yesterday, now, these two teams were number one and number two in the league in playing in one-possession games. The Vikings have played in ten consecutive one-possession games. Ten in a row. I think eleven is the NFL record. So Vikings uh, liking to keep it close. It's bad for the angina. <laughs> I tell you, if you're a Vikings fan, take your aspirin. Be uh, be good to yourself. Don't don't beat yourself up, and just accept the fact that they're going to be close games. Speaking of close games, boy, how quickly the number one team in the country has <laughs> found. Uh, a way to lose the game last night Purdue in uh, of course uh, men's basketball the Purdue Boilermakers went on the road to play Rutgers up in Piscataway, New Jersey the mighty Scarlet Knights of Rutgers and Rutgers came away with the victory 70 to 68 Purdue whom there was a lot to be a lot of news about a lot of chatter about it it was that program's first ever number 1 AP ranking it's been a good program over the years. They've had some good teams. Certainly, you know, we saw uh, Purdue many years ago in the in the tournament. Or Purdue beat Arizona in the tournament uh, at one point. They've had they, they've certainly turned some good players into the NBA, but never had a number one team in the country. But last night, the number one team went into Piscataway and got beat by Rutgers. Now, it wasn't one of those situations where Rutgers dominated the game. Uh, It was close. It was back and forth the whole way. Rutgers, you know, it was a a one-point game. Rutgers has the possession. Uh, Ron Harper Jr. kind of does this, uh, like, turnaround fade away from about 14 feet, goes in. Rutgers takes a one-point lead. Purdue comes down with nine seconds remaining on the clock. Travian Williams, with about four seconds left, kind of makes a, Awkward looking layup, but it went in nonetheless, and Purdue goes up 68-67 with about four seconds left. No timeouts on the clock, or no timeouts in their uh, in their pocket, I should say. Rutgers inbounded the ball to Ron Harper Jr. And those of you who were old enough and you know, old like me remember his dad and just the amount of sheer leaping ability. He's was like was like watching Nick Johnson. Like Ron Harper Sr. was he, that guy had some bounce. Like he was impressive. Played a lot of his career for the Bulls. But his son, Ron Harper Jr., took the took the inbounds pass, dribbled just past the half court line, and launched a shot into the air that was, I, I mean, we're talking thousands of a second close to being uh, after the uh, after the shot clock expired. Much like Sabatino Chen, you know, shooting the ball after the shot clock had, aspired, had expired uh, in the, for Colorado in that game at the McHale Center. Much like Sabatino Chen, this time it was on the other side. This guy's shot, uh, you know, uh, Ron Harper Junior.' shot was actually legal, and it went into the air, and down it went. Bang. Rutgers walk-off win, 70-68, to and the uh, the fans, the Scarlet Knight faithful, that showed up to watch their team get crushed by the number one team in the country, were able to storm the court and celebrate after uh, the, the uh, beating of a unanimous number one team. Which I believe was the first time Rutgers has ever beaten a, an AP number one team. So <laughs> congratulations to Purdue for getting their number one ranking and then immediately losing it two days later. It's tough to be good in college basketball, man. As soon as you get as soon as you get that one next to your name, everybody's like, We're gonna beat them. Like you they get you are you get their best shot it happens every time it it is it is so remarkably like when you go on the road with a team like we, like when i traveled with arizona it was palpable you could just tell and arizona wasn't the number 1 ranked team in the country you know we we had some some certainly some top 10 rankings plenty of the times that we went into opposing teams and there were times where you know like we would go play Washington State or Stanford or something. And they, these teams had like four wins on the season, and they were still trying to get their first Pac-12 win. And we're in a dogfight. These guys are playing their tails off, and the fans are going nuts, and the fans who haven't shown up all year are going crazy, and their signs and their costumes. And stuff. It's It's insane. It's a totally, totally different story when you've got a single-digit number next to your name, let alone the number one next to your team name. So uh, props to Rutgers, man. They fought. I think they had another upset this year, too. I think they beat another ranked team. Uh, I don't remember who it was earlier in the season. But sometimes that, uh, you know, those those little uh, power five teams that every once in a while will just jump up and bite you, like Oregon State did to so many teams in the tournament last year, will jump up and bite you. And they got uh, they got the number one team last night. So there will be a new number one once the dust settles over the weekend. Who will it be? We'll find out. ESPN Tucson invites you to the Sierra Auction. The public preview is today. It starts at 10 a.m. It goes from 10 to noon. You've got a couple hours to go preview some of the vehicles that they're going to be auctioning off there at the uh, at the Sierra Auction. And then the, uh, the actual auction is going to be on Saturday. You can bid online tomorrow starting at 8 a.m. Now, it's open to the public. There's no dealer license that's required. Uh, just go to the online registration, which is available at SierraAuction.com. Register your intent to go down there and uh, do a preview of the uh, of the of the uh, properties that they have there for you, and then uh, you can start bidding online tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and get the deals you deserve only at SierraAuction.com. Still, plenty more to get into. Things that happened overnight and a very very sad story coming out of the world of sports in the NFL. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson.
0: The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos.
1: Desert Diamond is true
0: Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson.
1: Welcome back on this Friday Football Friday. And we do have a lot of football or a lot more football to talk about. Talk about the Vikings and Steelers game last night and the debacle that occurred when Chase Claypool signaled his first down when he should have been getting his sorry butt up and handing the ball to the umpires so they could spike the ball and give his team some more time to win the game. But I digress, and we move on. The number six Wildcats outlasted North Dakota State last night at the McHale Center. Shook off a little rust in the process. They beat the uh, North Dakota State Bison by a score of 59-47. The game did not start, though, on a positive note, uh, as uh, a a hush came over the crowd early on, just uh, just twenty seconds into the twenty thirty seconds into the game, uh, as sophomore uh, sophomore front court player Lauren Ware fell to the floor in obvious pain, clutching her knee, um, and it. it, it you know obviously a scary moment for anybody and and for those who are familiar with Lauren Ware specifically Adia Barnes and the the coaching staff know that she you know she's already got one bad knee already she had an injury just a couple of years ago to a, to her knee where she had an ACL tear and it's always scary for an athlete to get back on I know I've I've had five knee surgeries I've got to be looking at a sixth one I tore my MCL uh just a, a few weeks ago so um you know, I get it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always painful. And when you're young and you're just kind of getting back into the confidence of getting on your knees to, you know, to play in the games and such, and, you know, getting, getting your knees underneath you and getting them strengthened up and the confidence in them. Uh, then you go down with a, with another knee injury. It's scary. So, She's going to get an MRI. I know that the swelling is probably pretty bad. You can't get the MRI until that uh, swelling has gone down. She's likely to miss the next one or two weeks. But what they, you know, what they originally feared, uh, came, you know, came down. Obviously, they they were able to uh, uh, assess last night that it was probably just a dislocated knee, which is extremely painful. But thankfully, nothing appeared to be torn from the initial. Uh, assessment by the doctors now in the game the first half was really tight you know dia barnes mentioned after the game she's like you know some of the girls were crying because of because of what happened with lauren and they lost their focus a little bit and that's look that's completely understandable the first half was was tight and uh they played uh, they played real close to uh, north dakota state last night but it was kate reese and the shana pellington show in the second half as uh they put the team on their shoulders and, uh, and then San Thomas uh, and that defense, that vaunted Wildcat defense, shut the door on the Bison in the fourth quarter, end up winning that game 59-47. North Dakota State was game. They hit some three-pointers late. They hit like four three-pointers late in that game to kind of draw within six or seven points. But uh, defense uh, showed up and, and uh, played like we're, we're familiar with them doing, and they got the dub. Now, Adia Barnes and the Wildcats will host New Mexico at the McHale Center on Sunday. That game's at 1 o'clock before they head up the hill to NAU for a game at the Walk-Up next Friday, playing at NAU. And then uh, their final non-con game of the year is going to be Sunday, December 19th. They're going to be taking on number 11 Texas in the Coast-to-Coast to Coast Tournament in Las Vegas. Now, many Wildcat fans will remember, and I'm sure Texas fans and coaches and players that are still on that team will also remember, it was a crushing defeat just two years ago in 2019, right around I think it was like late November uh, in 2019 when the Arizona Wildcats, the women's team, went into Austin and smoked a very, very highly ranked and – a team with a lot of, of aspirations, the Texas Longhorn team. And that was kind of the game that uh, if, if you talk to, to fans of the team and people who cover the team, that was kind of the game that really the light, you know, the light bulb went on at that point. It was like that was the flip of the switch. Adia Barnes focused on that game. It was a game that, that was scheduled with the intent of we're going to give ourselves a measuring stick. We're going to see where we're at in the country. And I think they beat what, they beat Texas by 20, like 26 points or something like that. I mean, they went in and smoked them. And from there on, this team has had a completely different mindset, a completely different set of confidence, an outlook that was a lot loftier than what it was before they played Texas. So they're going to renew that little uh, rivalry. Coming up on uh, Sunday, December nineteenth, is going to be a, a neutral site game. It's played in in Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena. But I'm sure that there are going to be plenty of people, uh, plenty of people in that arena that night that remember the outcome of that game two years ago, and uh, could get interesting. And look, Texas is really good again this year. They're a top ten team this year, or at least have been. I think they're number eleven in the country right now, uh, but they have been a number ten, a top ten team in the country so far this year. They're 6-1 and one on the season, and that's going to be uh, a good test for the uh, for the Wildcats, obviously, as uh, they take on Texas. So, y- you know, a little bit of storyline there, a little bit of history between those two squads, and uh should be a fun one. We're looking forward to that. And, of course, we always cheer on Adia Barnes and the women's team. They are so, so good. Uh, before we go to break, sad news out of the world of sports, doubly sad news out of the world of sports. Uh, it was uh, announced last night that former Broncos wide receiver Demarius Thomas was found dead in his Georgia home at the age of 33 years old. My goodness, um, someone very close to him apparently is reporting that it was the result of a seizure. Um, I, I, I wasn't aware that he uh, suffered from epilepsy. Um, it, it is it is a real. Uh, you know, a real thing in this world, and it does kill people. And, uh, man, very, very unfortunate. Gone way, way too soon was Demarius Thomas. Had a great career in the NFL. Obviously, the memorable play from his career was the 80-yard touchdown catch and, uh, catch and run from Tim Tebow in the playoffs against the Pittsburgh Steelers that knocked the Steelers out of the the, uh, the playoffs that year, that overtime game. Uh, and so Demarius Thomas gone way too soon at the age of 33 uh also in the uh, passing away last night an icon in the world of motorsports Al Unser senior three-time IndyCar champion four-time Indy 500 winner he passed away at the age of uh 82 I- ironically this is the uh this is the the uh uh third Unser to pass away this season or this year I should say uh Bobby Unser his older brother passed away at the age of 87 and his son, one of his sons, passed away also earlier this year. So, man, been a rough year for, the, for that. But uh, uh, Demarius Thomas gone too soon, and Al Unser, a, uh, a, a living legend in the world of motorsport, passes away at the age of 82. You're listening here to The Jeff Dean Show. More after this on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN
0: Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos.
1: Desert Diamond is true Tucson.
0: Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM 1049 FM ESPN Tucson.
1: Well, you know, we just we can't we can't have any any anything innovative or fun in sports anymore. We will gotta come in and over adjudicate things and make rules to outlaw them. And the NCAA has already ruled that they're going to stop the fake sliding that we saw in the pit game against Wake Forest in the ACC championship game when Kenny Pickett did it. I, I, listen, I watch more college football than any human possibly should. That was the first time I have ever seen that play in my entire life, ever. And Kenny Pickett, after the game, even said, look, I was I was ready to slide. And then I looked at the defenders, and they just stopped. So I stopped sliding and just continued running. It wasn't a a faint job as we all thought it kind of was. After the game he said, I just I was ready to slide. They were coming at me and then I looked at their body language and they stopped. So I just kept going. So the, according to the memo from the NCAA yesterday, their coordinator official, Steve Shaw, said that referees will now interpret a fake slide as a player surrendering himself and should end the play. Quote, anytime a, anytime a ball carrier begins, simulates or fakes a feet first slide, the ball should be declared dead by the on-field officials at that point. <sighs> also, the memo stated that the play uh, such a play is not reviewable. So, I'm I've already I've already seen it in my head because I know how just you know how good the Pac-12 officials are at their jobs in officiating plays that happen Rather quickly on the field in the world of football, I can see it already a player in the pac twelve I'm just using the pac twelve because i you know I'm familiar with the, our officiating history here doesn't you know he he's he's you know trying to do maybe like a you know some type of a euro step or they're using some kind of a fake to you know to to fake out the uh, the defender and the official blows the whistle like nope you're going to fake a slide." he's like, no, I wasn't. I, was, that's, I wasn't trying to slide. <laughs> I was trying to trying to outjuke the, the defender. Nope, sorry, not reviewable. You're down right here. It's going to happen. Now that this is a rule, th- it's going to happen. For something that has never, ever happened, at least I have never, ever seen it in my entire life, and it was a little stutter. It wasn't even like he was, you know, kicked the leg out and was like halfway down and was like, nope, I'm going to stop. And get back up and and run with the ball some more. It was just like a little like and he stuttered and then and he took off running again. Hey, how about coaching your defender, uh, your defensive players to finish the play? They were 15 yards from him when he was starting to when he was getting ready to slide. They just stopped. They pulled up. they were like, no, nah, nah, we're done. And of course, Dave Clawson, head coach of the uh, Wake Forest Demon Deacons, after the game, after getting spanked around by Pitt. In the, uh, in the ACC championship game, he said that the NCAA needed to review this, whether it was a legal play or not, because he said, if that's the rule, I'm just going to have my guy f- uh, fake uh, kneeling down the whole way down the field, and what what are you going to do to stop me? Dude, stop, shut up. <laughs> I mean, seriously, did we need a rule like this? Is, was there a need for this rule? Defensive player, I, I was – had the TV on this morning in the background, and I could hear Ryan Clark on ESPN going, this rule absolutely needed to be done because defensive players are going to take somebody's head off. Stop. He's like, uh, he was like, from now on, I was going to, uh, you know, every coach should have been coaching their player that the, a player has to slide underneath me diving at their head. That's not going to happen. That wasn't. People are so overreactive to stuff. It makes me crazy. These And I won't even call this a knee-jerk reaction because I I don't think it was. But it's a complete overreaction to this. Now, maybe it becomes some kind of an epidemic next season where quarterbacks are trying to emulate what they saw Kenny Pickett do because he was all over television and the internet. I mean, that that play was everywhere. Everybody's seen it from different angles 13 times. Maybe it becomes a problem next year with players kind of – fake sliding and stuff like that, and they figure out, you know, they practice and they work on it, like how far can I get into a hook slide before I can get back up and keep running? Yeah, Sure. But after one play where he kind of stuttered, like, it wasn't even that egregious of a fake. The players just weren't good enough or, uh, you know, I guess hungry enough or not into the game enough because it happened in the first quarter. It was the first touchdown of the game. They weren't ready, whatever have you. Uh, to go and attack this guy, eh, I put I put the blame on the defensive players for stopping. You don't stop the whistle hadn't blown, and I know everybody's afraid of getting that penalty flag and the targeting call and stuff like that. You know what? It it, it, it if you've been coached well enough, you won't get targeting calls. Uh, p- end of story. Period. If your coaches have coached you up well enough, and if you've taken to their to their teachings and learn how to tackle properly, you won't get targeting penalties. You can play aggressively and not get targeting calls. A lot of players do it. Thousands and thousands of players do it every weekend. You can do it too. But no, now this is going to be another judgment call in the eyes of the officials, and it's not reviewable. Great. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be a problem next season. Uh, Right now, I'm telling you there is going there are going to be plays next year where a running back or a wide receiver who will never hook slide in their life they're not they don't do that is they're going to you know try to make some kind of a fake and officials like nope he was getting ready to slide he's down right here take the touchdown off the board it's going to happen you watch you uh, with as many running quarterbacks as we have in college football it's going to happen it should it should state, because quarterbacks are the only ones that you ever see hook slide, right? I mean, they're the only ones that are kind of protected by that rule, right? It should say, instead of the rule saying anytime a ball carrier begins simulates a fake foot, it should be anytime the quarterback begins to simulate a foot a feet first slide. Because then at least you you would take you would eliminate the problem of there being a misjudgment on any other player on the field. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like this overreaction. I don't like new rules, and I sure as hell don't like rules where it leaves it up to official interpretation. The The fewer official interpreted, official interpreted calls and plays there are in a game, the better. NCAA just added another one. Just throw another one on the pile there, boys. We're going to keep these officials so bogged down by thing little infinitesimal things that they should be looking for that they're not going to be able to focus on the big things that they should be focusing on, like a holding call in the middle of the field and then the quarterback runs 58 yards for a touchdown in a rivalry game. Probably should be looking for that as opposed to somebody maybe trying to fake a hook slide so that they can juke out the defender. Give me a break. It drives me nuts. I I just I do not like overreactions, and I don't like when the NCAA just drops a rule on everybody. Here you go. Official interpreted rule. Have fun, boys. I, it, it drives me absolutely nuts. Nobody was in danger. There was, there was no player safety issues with this. This was not an epidemic. It wasn't like players were doing this left and right. And if next year, if players had started doing it every game, then I can understand. It's not. It's no longer an overreaction. At that point, it's just a reaction to players trying to take advantage of the system. In my opinion, Kenny Pickett was not trying to take advantage of the system. He was fully intent on sliding. When he realized that Wake Forest's players weren't coached up enough to to continue the play until the whistle blows, he decided to keep going. So, uh, it, complete overreaction, and it's going to cause problems next year. This is. I'm telling you right now, it's going to cause problems. There's gonna be plays next year where people are like, the play was stopped. Some stupid officials like well, he, was gonna, he was gonna slide, he faked the slide, he's down here. People are gonna go bonkers. They're gonna go absolutely nuts. Probably as nuts as I'm going right now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm fired up on a Friday. It's football Friday, man. Speaking of that, what is Oregon thinking? Honestly. Like the, the new the new hotness, the new rumor out of Eugene is that they're trying to court Chip Kelly away from UCLA. The same Chip Kelly who left them for the NFL, the same Chip Kelly who has basically been non-existent on the recruiting trail because he doesn't care about recruiting anymore, hasn't for a long time, to be honest with you, the same Chip Kelly who lobbied the Pac-12 to not play a uh, a season last year during the COVID-19 pandemic because... I didn't, he didn't give the, you know, he gave other reasons why, but we all know the reason why because he didn't want to coach. So he's making seven million a year. Why should I coach if I can make seven million a year all dollar a year, a year sitting on my ass? I it, it, uh, Oregon's in trouble, man. <laughs> They're in trouble. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm cool. I'm happy. I don't like that school. I don't like their fans. And uh, if they stink, if they make a bad hire, and I do think Chip Kelly would be a bad hire then, uh, then I'm, I'm here for it. I'm happy about that. All right. We're going to take a timeout. Mary's yelling at me. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We'll return with some more college football news. And then in hour number two, lots of NFL preview of uh, Week 14. That's next here on The Jeff Dean Show.
0: The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. <laughs> Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. 1490
1: AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson reminds you that the 51st Annual Winter Street Fair going on today, tomorrow and Sunday. Right there, the 4th Avenue Street Fair opens at 10 a.m. today, and uh, the rain hopefully will have stopped by then. And it's going to be a, a brisk day, so uh, dress, for, uh, dress, dress with some warm clothes if you're going to be heading out there. But there is something for everyone. There's going to be holiday shopping from the merchants and the artists set up there, mouth-watering fair food and drink, local entertainment, family activities, and Santa himself. For more details, go to ESPNTucson.com. If Arizona fans, uh, basketball fans, or just Arizona fans in general, are looking for maybe a clue as to if and when the NCAA will rule on the infractions that occurred uh, d- under the previous regime it sounds like uh, it, shouldn't say it sounds like the NCAA in uh, committee on infractions released today that uh, said this morning that they're going to release their decision on Auburn's basketball program today which happened i guess kind of near the same time that Arizona's was going on. Auburn also did a lot of the same things that Arizona did. They self-imposed a postseason ban last year. They sat players who were involved in the infractions, and the assistant coach who was involved in the infractions was also fired. So this could be a, uh, I guess, a glimpse of a blueprint as to what kind of penalties Arizona could potentially be facing when and if the NCAA ever decides to, uh, uh, to decide on Arizona's case. Um, so be looking for that. It's going to happen uh, later this afternoon. Uh, of course, it, you know, Arizona, that'll be on Eastern time, so it could happen around 11 or noon sometime Arizona time today. So keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll see. We'll just keep our fingers crossed. Maybe they, if they take it light on Auburn, then we can have precedence for the, uh, for the argument for Arizona when and if that decision comes down, if it comes down before the end of this season. I was talking with a buddy of mine yesterday. We were talking about the basketball team, and I just – it would be a a real shame. And I don't mean just for us here in Tucson and state of Arizona, Wildcat fans all across the country and the world. It would be a real shame for everyone that enjoys the sport of college basketball if this Arizona Wildcat team were not permitted to play in the 2022 tournament because – They are so enjoyable to watch. They are such a thrill. And some of the players on this year's team will not be on next year's team. Again, I know the NCAA isn't going to be taking that into consideration, but maybe they do. Maybe they want a little more excitement in their postseason tournament, and if they do, they'll definitely want to have this iteration of the Arizona Wildcats team there. All right, we're going to take a timeout, quick timeout. Just a quick two-minute turnaround. Hour number two coming up. My Friday Five, the NFL version of the Friday Five, my NFL lock of the week, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned right here to 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. The Jeff Dean Show will be right back on ESPN Tucson.